Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Everyone gathered here, as well as those who are watching and listening online, glad that we can all be together in this way. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and we will jump right into it. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus launching his public ministry with an announcement. We read in verse 17 that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Other gospel writers use the phrase kingdom of God, that they're one and the same. A little later in chapter four, Matthew describes Jesus's message of the coming kingdom, the kingdom that's drawing near as gospel. He says it's good news. And another way to describe this gospel that Jesus announces of the kingdom coming near is that Jesus is announcing that God's dream for the world is coming true. God's dream for the world is coming true in Jesus. When Martin Luther King said in his speech, I have a dream, he was tapping into God's larger dream for the world. When God's kingdom would come, meaning God's will would be done here on earth as it's always done in heaven. God's dream for the world is for God's space, heaven, and human space, the earth, to come together and be unified. And this is the announcement of the gospel, God's good news, God's dream is coming true. But this announcement is not advice on how to live a better life. It is a radical announcement requiring a radical response. The response Jesus calls for is repent. This news is so good, so life-changing, you must repent in response to it. Repent is one of those religious words. It means turn around, change course, alter the trajectory of your life. Jesus says, God's dream for the world is coming true. It's good news. Now change to align yourself with this new reality that's coming into existence. And then in chapter four, Matthew goes on to introduce us to four people who have their lives changed, whose life trajectories are forever altered by this announcement of good news. Last week, we read John's account of Jesus recruiting his first disciples. Today, this is Matthew's account. In verse 18, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, 
and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus begins to build his team, he doesn't go to Rome and recruit among the politicians. He doesn't go to the temple in Jerusalem and recruit among the religious scholars and experts. He begins on the shores of a sea that's really more of a great lake. And the first four people he recruits are fishermen. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us this, but my assumption is they had already heard Jesus preaching. They were already familiar with Jesus and his message. They knew something about him already. This isn't their first encounter with Jesus. And so when he recruits them to be on his team, to help him recruit other people, to be a part of the movement, their response is immediate. They drop everything, literally drop the nets in their hands and go with them. It's unnecessary to see these fishermen from Galilee as poor, miserable peasants who were just barely getting by and therefore desperate for another offer, ready to go anywhere because anything would be better than what we're currently doing. No, 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 no. Galilean fishermen did pretty well for themselves. They exported their catch all over the Roman Empire. They weren't rich, but they weren't poor either. James and John had a family business, and we know from other accounts that they employed a staff. They had workers working for them. So they were somewhat astute businessmen who recognized an opportunity of a lifetime. They knew just enough about Jesus already to think he was the one. So at a moment's notice, they leave behind their families and their businesses and follow Jesus. Now, it's not that they'll never see their families again or that they'll never go fishing again. We know from other stories, they will. But from this moment on, their number one priority will be following Jesus, going with Jesus, learning from Jesus, being with Jesus. And it's impressive, isn't it? Inspiring like that. He calls, they follow. So faithful, so courageous, so obedient. We, we probably can't help but put ourselves in their shoes or sandals and think, hmm, if that happened to me, if I'm the one there, would I respond the same way? Could I be more like them? But what if I told you This is just about the last good thing we see them do in the Gospels until after Jesus' resurrection. They get pretty much everything else wrong from this point forward. The one right move they make is in the beginning when they decide to follow Jesus. 
they struggle throughout the rest of the story because they follow him for the wrong reasons. Matthew doesn't make it plain at this point in the story, but it becomes so obvious later on. Here's what I think happened. Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God is coming near. Jesus comes announcing God's dream for the world is coming true. And they hear Jesus saying, God is about to make all of our dreams come true. And there can be, and usually is, a big difference between our dreams and God's big dream for the world. And so they follow Jesus, assuming Jesus's dream is the same as their dream, they're on the same page, or maybe even to put a little darker spin on it, they may even see Jesus as the wonder worker, the ticket, the powerful one who they can use to make their dreams come true. We just think about speaking the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is not a cheat code to make sure you get whatever you want. It's not a magic formula to guarantee that all your dreams come true. Jesus won't be used that way. So maybe they think they can use Jesus to make their dreams come true. Meanwhile, Jesus is recruiting them to follow him so that he can use them to cast the net of God's dream into the sea of broken lives all around them. Do you hear the difference? They want to use Jesus to make their dreams come true. He wants to use them to announce God's dream coming to others. And that difference leads to all kinds of confusion, misunderstanding, disappointment, frustration, failure, even resistance in the disciples. Later on, Peter is going to try and talk Jesus out of his mission to go to Jerusalem where he's going to die on a cross. So strong is Peter's resistance to Jesus that Jesus calls him Satan. Get behind me, you adversary. Because Peter's dreams can't come true if Jesus dies on a cross. And James and John, they will irritate and alienate the other disciples by asking Jesus if when he comes into his kingdom, when he comes into his power, when he takes his throne as king, if they can have the seats to his right and his left. Not realizing that when Jesus is enthroned, when he is crowned as king, the spots to his right and his left will be occupied by rebels on crosses of their own. At no point as they're following Jesus do Peter, James, and John's dreams include carrying or dying on a cross. That's not what they think following Jesus is going to do for them. Years ago, Cynthia Heimel wrote an article about her time living in New York and getting to know people who weren't famous, but became famous. Since she knew all these now famous people when they were waiting on tables in restaurants or selling tickets at a theater. They were just normal people. They had hopes, dreams, ambitions, insecurities, fears, and then they became wildly famous. And she said they were miserable. Some of them were insufferable. They were so disappointed because they believed becoming famous, becoming successful, 
would make them happy. It would fill their empty hearts and it only made the emptiness worse. And she closes her article with this killer line. She says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. And Jesus loves these disciples too much to make their dreams come true, to grant them their deepest wishes. And so as they follow him, they learn to submit their dreams to God's larger dream. By following him, they learn that discipleship, being a follower, disciple of Jesus is a journey away from selfish ambition, away from self-centered dreams and wishes and toward self-giving, sacrificial, cross-shaped love for others. We talk about discipleship here. We, we think discipleship's important, but what discipleship means is following Jesus away from selfishness toward selflessness. And that learning curve is steep and at times it's painful. Scott McKnight tells a story of hearing John Stott, famous preacher and writer, has written a number of books, speak at a conference and after Stott's lecture, there was Q and A and a young adult stepped up to the microphone to ask a question of Stott. And, and the question was, how do I know what God's will for my life is? Which is a common question from young adults who want to please the Lord, but it's, it's a question that anyone who is afraid of wasting their life doing something God's not going to bless might ask. How, how can I know what God's will is for my life? And McKnight relates Stott's answer, which is so brilliant. He says, go where your gifts can be exploited. Go where your gifts and talents and education and experience and mistake-based wisdom, the wisdom you've gained from making mistakes, go where all of that can be exploited and used in the service of God's dream for the world. I love how when Jesus calls the first disciples, he speaks their language as fishermen. Hey, you're good at casting a net and catching some fish. Follow me and I will exploit your gifts and teach you how to cast a dream and catch people. You'll still be doing what you've always done, what you know how to do best, but we'll focus it in a different direction for a different purpose. But before they can do that and before they can really excel at it, before God can exploit their gifts, they must first stop asking Jesus to endorse all of their selfish dreams and orient their lives around Jesus, their dreams around Jesus. And in doing so, that's when they find themselves caught in this bigger net, caught in a net of a bigger and better dream, not just for themselves or for their families or for their businesses or for their little village or their small nation, but for the whole world. But it only comes as they learn to move away from selfishness into selflessness.
were meant to identify with the disciples in this story and throughout the gospels. And it's really not hard to do that, is it? We can see how their dreams could be similar to our dreams, their ambitions similar to our ambitions, their misunderstandings of Jesus similar to our misunderstandings, their failures, our failures, their resistance to Jesus's mission, our resistance to Jesus's mission. And so an obvious question coming out of this story when we read it is, hmm, what would I do if I'm working one day and Jesus walks by and says, you follow me? Would I be like them and drop everything and follow Jesus? Would I, would I do that? And I think most of us would say today, well, we know more about Jesus now than they did then. We're here worshiping the risen Lord. And so, yes, of course, we would drop everything and follow Jesus. Of course we would. But there's a deeper question lurking in this story. A bit more troubling. That question is, why would we follow Jesus? Why would we be willing to drop everything and follow Jesus? Would we follow Jesus because we want to use him and his good news as a means to make all of our dreams, all of our wishes, all of our ambitions come true? Or would we drop everything and follow because we too have been caught in the net of God's dream, God's good news for the whole world? Would we follow Jesus because we want to use him? Or would we follow because we've caught the vision and we want to be useful? And these are not hypothetical questions. Of course, we can't follow the flesh and blood Jesus around the Galilean countryside. It's a historical and geographical impossibility. But that call to follow Jesus to orient our lives around the gospel he embodied in his life, death, and resurrection, that call is ever before us. The risen Christ is always, always, always passing by saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And we don't literally have to drop our nets or quit our jobs or sell our houses or leave our families behind to follow Jesus. but we can drop our selfish ambition and our self-centered dreams and our self-glorifying wishes and make Jesus's priorities our priorities for the sake of others and the sake of the world. Now, it's not that all of our dreams and wishes and ambitions are evil. It's not that they're bad Many of those dreams and wishes and ambitions were put in your heart by God because of your gifts and talents and abilities. They're not necessarily bad or evil. They're just not as good and true and beautiful and as useful as they can be until we learn from Jesus how they fit into God's dream for the whole world. Until we begin to see how God could exploit our gifts and talents and abilities and experiences for the sake of others. It's the difference between waking up every morning and asking Jesus to follow us, which is easy to do. We wake up and say, okay, Jesus, let's go. We say to Jesus, follow me. And then we ask Jesus to follow us throughout our day, blessing everything we do, laughing at all of our jokes, 
telling us how good our ideas are, agreeing with us every time we're in some conflict, hating all the same people we hate. That's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus. It's the difference between that, asking Jesus to follow us, and waking up every morning and saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. It's denying ourselves, to use language from Jesus in another part of the gospel. It's denying ourselves and taking up our cross every day to learn from Jesus the way of self-giving, sacrificial love for others. Which is why this announcement of good news and our participation in the movement requires repentance, not just once, but every day of our lives as we move away from selfishness into deeper selflessness with Christ. So as Christ keeps casting the net of God's kingdom, God's dream in our direction, may we hear the call and may we respond and may we open our hearts so that we can learn how to be dream casters in the way of Christ. Would you stand please now and read this prayer with me out loud as our benediction. Let's read, let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.